Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. I hope you are well. I don't know if you guys are getting used to this whole digital church thing, but it's still pretty weird for me. I've been a pastor for 22 years, but I never thought I'd become a televangelist. And yet, here we are. I just need to start selling little magic bottles of holy water and get my own jet. This is pretty strange, though. Sitting in my office, preaching a sermon to a camera, and not being able to see any of your faces. So what I like to do is kind of imagine that we're all together on a Sunday morning. And I look down here to my right, and I see the woods, and the pences, and the leverings, and the bothines, and the miles, and the hammergrins. And then I move up a little bit, and I see the myers, and then way in the back we have uh, Gerhardt Nation with wonderful Karen close by and Den and Pat in the back row. And then down the middle section, we've got Lonnie and Missy and Brad and Marie over here and Devin and Amy Schultz. And then down here on my left, we have Calvin and Kelly and all the cool kids. We have the whole Kent clan and the Wells and the Coles and Bradley and Marie France there in the back. And then way over here on this side, we have the Phillips and the Bales. Uh, Kelly Hayes, and then somewhere in the very back, posted up against the railing, probably rocking a sweet bow tie, checking his Instagram, we've got the one and only Aaron Pratt doing his thing. See, that's more like it, right? But for real, even as an extreme introvert who's been social distancing since way before it was cool, I really do miss you all. And I'm praying for you regularly, and I hope that even in the midst of these crazy days, you're finding peace and joy and contentment in Christ. Today, we are continuing our series through Colossians, and we're getting close to the end. We have one more week after this one. And Paul is continuing to describe what it looks like when followers of Jesus live out of their union with Christ. Union with Christ, we're coming to understand, is really the essence of our salvation and identity. God has joined us together with Jesus so that we are now in him and he is in us and we are one. Everything that's true about Christ has now been made true about us. If you remember back in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul says that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. It means our identity isn't found in what we do or what we have or what other people think about us. Our identity is that we've been united, incorporated, joined together into one person with Jesus. That's who we are now. So following Jesus isn't about becoming a better person. It's about becoming who we really are. Uh, last week, we talked about how our union with Christ will shape our home life. And this week, we're talking about how our union with Christ will shape our prayer life. So, prayer. We know there's lots of different kinds of prayer, different settings for prayer, different approaches to prayer. But in verses 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 4, uh, Paul really narrows in on two aspects of Christian prayer. And we might call them devotion 
and intercession. So we're going to talk about those this morning. First, he talks about prayer as an act of devotion. In verse 2, he writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. For those of us who have been around church for a while, we're familiar with the idea of devotions. In fact, we use the word so much that we've even abbreviated it down to devos. And we have all these devotional books that are great, but really they're more like chicken soup for the Christian soul. The true idea of devotion as a spiritual practice is that it's a time devoted to prayer. It's not only praying when you have to, or when things are really bad, but it's about incorporating a rhythm of prayer as a way of life. Or one way to think about it is that Jesus was devoted to prayer, and if we are in him, then we ought to be devoted to prayer as well. So devoting our prayer, devoting ourselves to prayer, is a practice of authentic existence. So let's be honest though. Prayer is hard, isn't it? especially trying to commit to a consistent rhythm or discipline of prayer. Pretty much every Christian I know would say they would like to pray more often and more regularly than they do. Christians want to pray, but we struggle to pray. And I think we always have. Think about in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus' first disciples are observing his life, and they see that he's devoted to prayer. And when it says that Jesus was praying in a certain place, that means a specific place, the place where he always prayed. Jesus had regular rhythms and times and places set aside to pray. And so his disciples are watching him and saying, I wish I could pray like that. I want that deep, powerful, devoted life of prayer. But it's hard. I think it's nice to know that we aren't the first Christians that struggle to pray. We know that prayer should be the central practice in our lives, but it's just hard, isn't it? Like my mind wanders. I doubt whether my prayers even matter. I feel like nobody's on the other end of the line. And so we can take encouragement in knowing that Jesus' first disciples struggled to pray too. So what do they do about it? They ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And he does. He gives them a prayer to pray. And it's what we now call the Lord's Prayer. But here's what's interesting. The fact that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, and he does, means that prayer is something we have to be taught how to do. Even though we struggle to pray, it still probably sounds weird to most of us. Like, isn't prayer supposed to be this genuine, organic, authentic thing? Isn't prayer like just talking to God? But the truth is, all of us have learned to pray in one way or another. I know I've shown you this before, but it's just so good. This is the generic prayer request generator. If you grew up in the evangelical environment, this thing just nails it. If you don't know what to pray for, you just fill in the blanks and you've got a prayer request. So you're at your youth group or your small group and you just say, my obscure relatives, acquaintances, vehicle, pet, or body part is blank. 
And then you say, just pray that God would just really heal, deliver, help, whatever, it or the situation. And boom, you've got a prayer request. So whether our faith was formed in an environment like that, or in some other tradition, we've already been handed a prescription for prayer. Someone, for better or worse, has taught us how to pray. Prayer is something we learn how to do. So when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, you would think he would just say, just talk to God. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives them a prayer to pray. And this is exactly what they expected from him. This is what rabbis did. For many of us, the idea of praying a prepackaged prayer seems really like ritualistic or inauthentic. <clears throat> but what do we think the purpose of prayer is? Is it to get stuff from God? Is it self-expression? See, apparently to Jesus, being devoted to prayer is about our formation into his likeness. It's about us learning how to participate in his ongoing conversation with the Father. It's about aligning our heart and mind and will with his. It's about becoming who we are. And so Jesus gives his disciples a prayer to pray with him. The Lord's Prayer was composed by Jesus, and he fully intended for his disciples to pray it, not just once, but habitually. See, for many Christians today, especially those of an evangelical bent, the idea of pre-packaged prayers is somewhat foreign. We may even like, feel suspicious that praying prayers written by someone else is an inauthentic way of relating to God. But what if the primary purpose of prayer is not just talking to God, but becoming properly formed people? See, if prayer is about spiritual formation, then we can't depend on ourselves to learn how to pray. If we're going to pray better, we need better prayers. Even Jesus himself often prayed pre-written prayers. The book of Psalms was the Jewish prayer book. And Jesus was constantly, not just reading the Psalms, but praying them throughout his life. He even prayed a Psalm when he was on the cross. And then after Jesus, the early church was also devoted to prayer. Listen to how Acts 2 describes the life of the very first community of Christians. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Notice that the best translations of this verse don't just say they were devoted to prayer, but they were devoted to the prayers, which means they had set times and places where they prayed the same prayers together. Their prayers would have included the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, but the church was also beginning to compose its own prayers. And this is where we get the idea of liturgy. Liturgy means work of the people. Prayer is work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes devotion. So this is why during this lockdown, we aren't trying to do church online at Antioch. We aren't pre-recording an entire worship service 
and having you watch church at home. Instead, we're giving you a digital liturgy. We're asking you to do some work, to pray the prayers. Now, this isn't to dunk on other churches that are doing differently than us, but for us at a conviction level, worship requires work. It's like the difference between watching a game of basketball and playing a game of basketball. It's fun to relax and watch a basketball game, but the real players are going to be tired and sweaty after the game. So we're inviting you to get into the game on Sunday mornings and not just be a spectator. Now, in addition, this last week, we created a whole new opportunity for our church family to devote ourselves to prayer during this time. We are setting aside Wednesdays as a day of prayer. And every Wednesday, there's three different virtual prayer meetings that you can attend. There are 8 a.m., noon, and 8 p.m. every single Wednesday. So let me show you how it works real quick. If you go to our website, antiochchurch.org slash prayer, you'll find these three boxes, 8 a.m., noon, and 8 p.m. You just click on the box when it's time for that prayer meeting, and it will take you to a Zoom call. If you don't have Zoom, it's easy to download on your computer or on your phone. Then you'll join a prayer meeting that will look something like this. This is how we've been doing our staff meetings three times a week. It's kind of a Brady Bunch sort of thing. Uh, It is pretty weird at first, but after a while, you get used to it. So when you join one of the prayer meetings, here's what's going to happen. One of our pastors or elders will be hosting the meeting, and there will be a liturgy that you'll do together. Some prayers that you'll pray, some scripture that you'll read, and then there will be a time to pray spontaneously together, led by the Holy Spirit, praying for each other, for our church, for our city, and for our world. If you're comfortable, you can dive right in and get your prayer on, or if this is new for you, you can kind of just listen and agree and silently participate. Antioch, I would love to see us become a church that's devoted to prayer. And what if we received the COVID pandemic as God's invitation to us to learn how to pray like Jesus. Would you please consider joining one of our Zoom prayer meetings this Wednesday? Not out of guilt or obligation, but out of a desire to be formed into the image of Christ. See, being devoted to prayer is the idea that prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes us. Devote yourselves to prayer. So that's verse two, prayer as an act of devotion or formation. Let's move on to the next part, prayer as an act of intercession. Verses three and four. Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So if you remember, way back at the beginning of Colossians, in chapter 1, Paul starts the whole letter by telling the church in Colossae, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And now, as Paul's getting ready to wrap up the letter, he's asking them to do the same thing for him. Um, asking someone to pray for you can kind of be an awkward thing, right? Like in what kind of scenarios 
do we typically ask someone to pray for us? Either like you're really not doing well, something's gone really wrong in your life and you're getting desperate and you finally reach out and ask someone to pray for you. Or like sometimes we ask people to pray for us, but it's more of like a humble brag. Like, hey, if you think of it, pray for me. I just got promoted and got a huge raise. So maybe just keep me in your prayers. Like most of us feel like asking for prayer can get pretty weird. But I think one of the things we can learn from Paul here is that asking someone to pray for us is actually a gift to them. Prayer gives us what Blaise Pascal called the dignity of causality. It's an invitation to be part of something way bigger than us. See, the original readers of this letter wouldn't have been surprised to hear that Paul was praying for them. Paul was this big-time apostle. He traveled all around the world preaching the gospel, planting churches. He was like this famous professional Christian. Of course, he was a man of prayer. But what would have surprised them would be that Paul would ask them to pray for him. Like, why would the great apostle Paul need me to pray for him? Wouldn't that be like LeBron asking me to help him with his jumper? I read this story about Mr. Rogers recently. It was back in the 80s, and Mr. Rogers was going to visit this 14-year-old boy who had severe cerebral palsy. And the kid had physical problems, but he also had emotional problems. He was angry and depressed and always talking about how he just wanted to die. And then one day, Mr. Rogers shows up at his house. And at first, the kid is so nervous that he starts throwing a fit and freaking out and hitting himself. It was so bad that his mom had to take him to the other room. And Mr. Rogers just patiently waits there. And when the kid calms down and comes back, Mr. Roger asks him, would you do something for me? And because of his CP, the boy can't speak, but he has this computer he uses to communicate, and he answers, yes, I would do anything for you. And Mr. Rogers goes, will you pray for me? The boy and his family are totally shocked because no one has ever asked this kid to do something like that before. People were always offering to pray for this boy, but no one ever asked this boy to pray for them. And the boy goes, I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. And from that day on, this kid starts praying for Mr. Rogers every single day. And after a while, his parents start to notice something different about him. Like his attitude is changing, he's laughing more, he's no longer talking about just wanting to die. His parents ask him what happened, and he says, well, Mr. Rogers is close to God, and if Mr. Rogers likes me, then that must mean that God likes me too. See, that's the dignity of causality. That's the honor of being invited into something that's bigger than you. But that's not the end of the story. Years later, Mr. Rogers is being interviewed, and the journalist has heard about this whole story, and he compliments Mr. Rogers on how he had so cleverly boosted the boy's self-esteem. But Rogers didn't look at, that, look at it that way at all. 
He said to the journalist, Oh, heavens no. That's how Mr. Rogers cusses, by the way. I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked him for me. I asked him because I think anyone that's gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. And so when Paul asks the Colossians to pray for him, he's not only imparting the dignity of causality, he actually believes that their prayers will move the hand of God. Pray for me too. What is it that he wants prayer for? He goes on to say that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, do you remember where Paul is writing this letter from? He's writing from prison, or more likely, he's under house arrest. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, but think about what it would be like if there was a period of time where you weren't allowed to leave your house. I mean, just hypothetically, if you were homebound, maybe a little more than usual, what would that be like? What would you do with your time? How do you think it would impact the way you practice your faith in Christ? Well, lucky for us, we see that Paul is in that current condition, in prison. His vision has not shrunk. His vision for seeing the gospel of Jesus go forth. He may not be able to leave the house, but he's going to use every means available to him to keep chasing after God's call on his life, to keep pursuing his vocation. So what he asks them is that God would open a door. Now, if most of us were in prison and were sharing our prayer requests with our church friends on the outside, the door we would want opened would be the prison door. We would want our circumstances to change. But the door Paul once opened is the door for the gospel of Jesus to penetrate the hearts, minds, and lives of people and communities. And Paul knows that God is the one who can open that door and that the prayers of his people are the key. Now, intercessory prayer is a mysterious thing. And I don't claim to understand exactly how it works. But we do know from the scriptures that there are certain things God wants to do in the world, but he chooses not to do them unless we pray for them. Can't go a week without a C.S. Lewis quote. So here's your Lewis for the week. It's from his essay, The Efficacy of Prayer. He says, For he seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Lewis reminds us of what the Bible shows us from beginning to end. Our God is not some distant, detached deity, but he's a father who's actively involved with his children and in his creation and in his all-encompassing knowledge, wisdom, and power. He gives us this dignity of causality and somehow our prayers really do affect the course of events and serve the ultimate purposes of God. God takes our prayers seriously, maybe more seriously than we do. 
what we pray really does matter. And when our prayers offered in agreement with his word and spirit and with faith really do make a difference. Jesus believed this, Paul believed this, and I believe this too. So, Antioch, here's a question I want you to ask yourself. If God said yes to every prayer you prayed this last week, how would the world be different? Who would be healed from their pain or sickness? Who would be saved and added to Christ's kingdom? Who would be set free from bondage or oppression? Whose lives around you would be blessed, changed, encouraged, comforted, or empowered? See, this is where prayers of devotion and prayers of intercession overlap. In devoted prayer, formational prayer, our hearts, minds, and wills are being tuned to God's. And in intercessory prayer, we reflect God's heart, mind, and will back to Him. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. To pray out of our union with Christ. To pray as an act of authentic existence. So, Antioch. May we devote ourselves to prayer, knowing that in Christ we have a high priest who is devoted to interceding for us. That as we speak, Jesus himself is offering prayers to the Father on our behalf, and he's offering to teach us how to pray with him. As Paul says, let's make the most of this opportunity. God bless you.